Hello and welcome to the Lean on Agile podcast. Um, I'm your host, Shaheen, and I have a very special guest today, Gil Broza. I had the privilege of uh, learning from him. We are both from Toronto, our home base are Toronto, so I have the privilege of knowing him and learning from him much. Um, he has written um, two books, The Human Side of Agile and The Agile Mindset Privacy. He recently has written a third book, Agile for Non-Software Teams. So we are going to mainly talk about the book and other topics. But before that, um, hello, Gil, and Hi. thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Gil, I wouldn't do the justice, uh, introduce you for our audience. Would you please um, tell our audience who, the, who Gil is? All right. Thank you. Um, I was a developer for many years, and then I was an architect and a dev manager. And in uh, the year 2000, I discovered Agile. Um, really before it had the name. And um, I learned by a lot of trial and error and uh, loved it. Loved it so much that in 2004, I got into coaching. I became an, an XP coach at the time when XP uh, also meant the Windows version. And that was, of course, a huge source of confusion. And uh, um, later rebranded as an Agile coach and trainer, right? And uh, that's what I've been doing um, for the past 16 years. Uh, oh, I've wow. been independent for 11 now, and uh, I work primarily in North America. I love it that there is more and more work in Toronto these days, mm. and um, I, I get to um, be here more and see my family more. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. I'm subscribed to your newsletter. And by the way, guys, if you are not subscribed, um, subscribe to Gil's newsletter. We are going to put the link at the end of the show in the uh, show notes. He recently wrote a newsletter about how to work remotely and how to effectively work remotely. Do you mind, before getting into the talk about the book, give us a little bit of tips or tricks on how to do that with all these challenging time mm -hmm. that we have in our hands right now? Yes, yes. I, you know, I wrote that two weeks ago, I think, and it was titled Preparing for a Work from Home Team. And I, I was assuming that, you know, people would start working from home a few weeks after my email. And in fact, almost everybody you and I know, right, started working from home, what, four or five days later? Mm -hmm. So really the point of it was not so much, you know, the tooling or... Um, you know, really how to conduct some of the practices remotely. The idea was that, you know, you had a co-located team and all of a sudden they've become distributed. And they're not distributed in the sense that, you know, people asked for this, right? They're not right. distributed because uh, people uh, try to have really this good, um, you know, work-life balance or whatever. They're distributed usually in the same city. Right. Um, so, of course, you know, same time zone and whatever that makes things easier. But what's not making it easier is that nobody asked for this and people are home with their kids, just like you and I are right now. Right. right? And um, and all of a sudden um, you can't really see them in this type of, you know, e um, you know, easy or straightforward manner as just, you know, walking up to their desk and saying hi. Right, you can't really do this. So, of course, there are alternatives, and we're using technology. Uh, you and I are using Zoom. I don't think any of us had an account more than a month ago. Right, everybody's on it, but it's not about the tools. It's about how do we keep the team going as a team. That was the big deal. 
mm-hmm. right? And, and if all of a sudden we are, you know, we're dispersed, um, we're worried, we're stressed out, uh, we can't focus. I mean, I, I can tell you, you know, past two weeks, I can't focus on anything, mm-hmm. right? It's, um, it's so difficult to concentrate with this huge level of, um, you know, uncertainty. Right. That, you know, this to me is really what the human side of Agile means. The fact that you have workers on your team who are otherwise, you know, you know, conscientious and, you know, accountable and friendly and professional. And now they're in a situation where it's really hard to concentrate and keep going as a team. And, and that was really the point of that uh, newsletter. Um, you know, our listeners can find it on the website at 3pvantage.com. But really the, the big deal is to keep checking in with people. And, right. you know, having frequent opportunities and, um, and also respecting the fact that everybody is, is finding themselves in, in a situation that they don't know how to deal with and, right. and not, you know, springing accountability on them and expecting your burn downs to look pretty and, and all of that stuff. Right. Uh, so, for instance, one of the suggestions I made there was to actually uh, not use sprints for the time being but Mm -hmm. to actually move to something that's more of a flow, not as a big, you know, official transition to Kanban, but um, because it's really next to impossible to commit to anything in any um, time span, right? Right. Uh, So instead, just work in priority sequence and just take things as they go. And, and, And if working from home becomes the new normal, then we'll deal with it then. Right. Then we figure out what the sprint should look like then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, you got lots of, you know, good, solid virtual teams and, and they make it work, but we're not talking about normal virtual teams. Right. They, yeah. These are, you know, <laughs> forced to be virtual. Yeah, yeah, true. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and let's get back to the main topic of our okay. talk about uh, your new book. Tell us about your new book. I, the book has been very highly cited, very highly, um, I saw the, one of the Agile Manifesto Signatory Writer Recommendation, David Marquet wrote the foreword for that yes. book. Um, it's a very heavy weighted um, book. So tell us more about the book. Okay. So um, you and I grew up in software, right? Um, chances are a lot of our listeners, that's what they do, software, technology, IT, whatever. And we, we sort of have a good sense of what it's like to run Agile, uh, but it took us a um, couple decades to figure it out, right? Uh, so like I said earlier, I started in Agile 20 years ago. Um, nobody knew what it was like. I mean, there were a few people to learn from. And now if you look outside of software, if you look at... Um, business functions, support functions, uh, facilities, HR, marketing, business units, um, all sorts of business-specific departments. Um, there's a lot of interest in Agile, but they don't know how to start. They don't know what it might look like. They don't know how to uh, you know, proceed along the journey in ways that would actually be helpful to them, as opposed right. to copied from software. And you know, software is very specific, right? It has um, constraints and it has complexities and it has parameters and economics that are unlike most other pursuits in a business. And so copying what sometimes works in software uh, over to, let's say, HR doesn't really make a lot of sense. So what I wanted to do is, you know, to help people in the situation where you have, I don't know, 
head of HR, a director of marketing, um, the facilities uh, manager, um, or, or also simply, again, business-specific departments to say, okay, we want Agile. How do we go about it? What would it look like for us? And like I did in the two previous books, without prescribing solutions. Right. Wouldn't be as easy as I, I saw some people, I don't call them coaches, but some people in Agile world, they uh, change the software in the Agile manifesto to solutions or to inventions or innovations. And then they call, this is your... Um, manifesto or agile manifesto for a non-software team isn't that as easy as that well okay it, it depends on which level you look at right so when we talk about an agile way of working we're talking about both mindset and tactics right so the mindset is the choices you make and the tactics are what you actually do right those tools and practices and processes and whatnot um when you look at the at, at the mindset, one of the things is what do we care about and optimize for? And in, and in software, we want, we want working software frequently, right? Mm -hmm. We want to ship something that makes a difference on a regular basis, hopefully frequently. The same concept applies outside of software. It's something you want to optimize for. You want to um, deliver to your consumers, whoever they happen to be, uh, solutions that help them accomplish their purpose. Now. The, a lot of the variety will happen at the level of the tactics, right? So in software, we know, okay, it means such things as having good, um, you know, automated test coverage and writing small things and deploying frequently to production and automated pipelines and blah, 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 right? But when you talk about something like um, marketing or sales, right. there's not much by way of automated testing that you can do. What you consider a pipeline would look totally different. Um, so how can you accomplish that um, same objective in a different context is really the question. Um, would the software organization has gone through the same thing that the tactics was not, were not easy for them at, at the start for the agile transformation? Mm -hmm. Like maybe like 15 years ago, it wasn't as easy as having a pipeline for going to production. Mm -hmm. And this is the way that you are singing, for example, in marketing. Um, that the tactics for for that award is not easy because I was reading your book and you were talking about purpose, mindset, and tactics. Mm -hmm. And for me, the mindset was the hardest part to tackle. But the, now that you're talking about, I'm looking more outside of the software. Mm -hmm. I think tactics might be harder for them first rather than the mindset to tackle. Well, that really depends on the field that you're in, right? So... Outside of software, marketing seems to be the area where people um, really take on to Agile more than in any other field. So they're figuring out tactics, right? And you can do all sorts of things with, you know, campaigns and testing and, and so on. But there are other fields where uh, some of the tactics might be simply a lot easier. Okay, so the, the tactics will be, I think, will be quite different no matter what field you're in. Mm -hmm. And will they be harder than the mindset? Not necessarily. I, I think part of the challenge we had with going to mindset in, um, in software development was that it was not even a subject of conversation, mm -hmm. right? We, we um, you know, for many years, the, the idea was practices, take the practices, you'll be fine. Shuhari, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody will be saved. Well, no. 
right? So the, the matter, okay, look, I wrote the mindset book in 2015 because there hadn't been a book on the agile mindset. People said, well, you should operate in an agile way, but what is that? Right? It was never a subject of conversation, right? Uh, you would read books, for instance, and, and there might be, you know, several pages that kind of say, yeah, you know, we, we want to, you know, be collaborative and we want to be self-organizing and this and that, but that was it. Right. So uh, what I'm suggesting in the book is, you know, identify where you want to start, identify what you want to optimize for, what sort of assumptions you're making, and then choose principles that fit for it. So this is actually mindset first, right? right. Based on the mindset, then you figure out tactics. People are smart enough. They can do this. It's not like, you know, having a demo every two weeks is somehow, you know, cosmically right. It's not. Right. In the first chapter of your book, one I read a sentence called healthy teams that delight customers. Yes. Um, and I guess you were, you were talking about, and I was like, oh my God, if like, no matter what environment you are in, if you mm -hmm. are focusing on building healthy teams that delight the customers that you're in that field, mm -hmm. you are um, capturing the essence of what agile or whatever uh, your end goal is um, mm -hmm. to be. So is, is that, if someone wants to become more effective at what they do, even mm -hmm. though they don't know what agile is, if they focus on healthy teams that delight customers, mm -hmm. is, is that the golden nugget? Is that the, it's not easy to find the balance between healthy teams in your organizations and that deliver delight customers. Right. But it's definitely a great start. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, what, what I suggest in the book is definitely guided by the value system that was put forward in the agile manifesto. It's not the only set of values that make sense. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have lots of, you know, other suggestions out there for, so for instance, uh, modern agile, that's another set of four values that is not identical to the manifesto, but it's congruent with it. Right. It makes sense. It gives you agility. So um, you have that one, one thing that does run through all this and, and you're right is the intense focus on teams and not just any teams, teams that are really tight, teams that are really customer focused, uh, teams that uh, approach things gradually, right? Teams where people actually do have each other's backs. Right. Um, this type of construct, this type of team, I, I would say that, you know, maybe one organization in a hundred actually has it right now. Mm -hmm. So imagine if wow. they built that, right? In software, it's sort of picking up, but even there, it's not quite that, right? right. A lot of teams are glorified groups. They're not really teams. And even when teams are really being teams, they're not necessarily being great teams. And a lot of times it's not their fault. It's because the organization around them, you know, it, it rewards and it suppresses certain things that simply force the situation. Right. Um, do you want to give, give us a definition between a team and group for the audience that might not know that? When okay. We well, so a group is just what it sounds like, right? It's, it's a set of people, right? And, a team, you know, they have a shared purpose. They, um, they're, um, they have complementary skills, right? right? They're mutually accountable, things like that. And, you know, it's funny, in, in a lot of my um, uh, leadership courses, um, I actually have to make this type of distinction because a lot of my attendees are not aware of the distinction. And, and when I make that distinction, some sometimes say, oh, 
I didn't realize that we use the word, but mm-hmm. it's not really it. What we have is a group. I mean, you can have a team that has specialists, right? right. But how those specialists show up and how they interact and, and the sort of responsibility they take for, you know, making a difference, that will make a difference between a team or a group, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, even the matter of the shared purpose, that, that is something that a lot of people get confused over. So, you know, 25 years ago when um, I was a developer someplace, uh, I was a member of a dev team, but we were not a team. We did not put anything in production. We couldn't. All we could do is go as far as works on my machine. It goes to test and testers will then decide and so on. But we use the word team. Right. Okay. So we didn't really have that type of, you know, responsibility for the big picture. We, we didn't even have mutual accountability. I had a s- certain set of things I was responsible for, and the other guy had a set of things that he was responsible for, and so on and so forth. And if one of them had a problem, it was not my problem. Because, yeah. But in a team, somebody has a problem, it's the entire team's problem. True, true. Um, the reason that I asked uh, for this distinction was that in after uh, in one of your um, pages of the book, you mentioned after you find your way, then um, listen to your team. You yes. didn't mention that to listen to individual or the high the highest paid person in the room or <laughs> the leaders or no one else but the team. Um, so tell us more about that. Why did you recommend that? Okay, so the book is written for a manager not for a team member, because my assumption right now in this decade is that these are the people who are going to be reading it and who are going to try to put agility in. Okay. Software is different. Now you will have team members say, Hey, I heard about this. Let's try it. But outside of it, not so yet, but I don't want the manager inflicting agile on people. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of talk, um, in the agile community about, you know, uh, mandated agile, agile by invitation, open space, things like that. And even before all of this talk, it has never been my experience that inflicted agile has a good track record, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, when, when a manager goes to a team member and says, look, we're going to be using agile. Here's what it's going to look like. A lot of people will kind of take this line down because, well, the manager, right? There is a power differential, right? They're there under contract, employment or, <laughs> or contract, whatever, right? Um, they have to do this. But the question is, will they want to? And if they don't want to, what's the downside? And typically the downside is that people don't actually bring their best self to work. They don't try hard. They just say, okay, so I'll find, you know, I'll do the work, whatever. I'll show up to the meetings. I'll bring the laptop. Uh, I won't pay attention. I'll just go through the motions because you told me to. And, you know, nobody wants that, right? Not the manager, not the individual, not the company. So what we know is that when um, the individuals are involved in choosing how they work, the results are better. The results are not necessarily better because those people are professionals in work method design. They're usually not, but they care. And once they care and and they're willing uh, and, and interested to... Uh, say, okay, I was part of this. I'm going to try to make it work. We were part of making this to, uh, making this design. We're going to try to make it work. Then you can get some more mutual accountability. Uh, we see this effect when teams do self-selection, mm-hmm. right? So it's no different. Right. 
if if I understood this correctly, your recommendation would be for the for the manager to read the book, understand what the agile for non-software team should look like, then present it to the team and get their feedback and mm. No, 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 no. Actually, you know, the lesson to the team is chapter three. So it's pretty early on, right? right? Um, the, the um, you know, the book is written kind of um, chronologically along the agile journey. And so the, the first chapter is, you know, just what is it? Why do ways of working matter? Right. And right. why, the, um, why there doesn't have to be just, you know, one. And the second one is, okay, what's special about agile? And the idea is that, you know, all the manager needs to do is read these two, mm-hmm. these two chapters and say, okay, I was thinking about Agile because I saw, you know, my IT colleagues, they stand up every day and they got stickies on the wall. I guess that's useful. And, I, and, and those chapters help, you know, up-level the, the understanding to, okay, what is Agile really about? And once, you know, the reader says, you know what? Yeah, I'm interested. Go with that to the team. So okay. they don't know what their Agile will look like yet. Right. They, they, they don't know, and, and, they, and they won't have, okay, all, all the guidance I give in terms of actually designing a method is like in chapter eight. Right, yeah. Okay, so the idea is that you have this early conversation of, you know, team, there's another option to, do, to getting our work done. This option has a name, or maybe you don't use the name if some people have been burned, um, and there, here are some things about it that make it different. Here are areas where it has, you know, made a good difference. Um, we have other parts of the company that have been using it and they seem to like it. Going there wasn't easy. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think? As simple as that. And you brought up the chapter because I really enjoyed reading that part. Okay. Uh, basically, um, we, we are bouncing back between chapters, <laughs> but um, since we brought it up, you're teaching um, basically how to design your own Scrum or your own Agile. I remember. I don't remember when. Way uh, of working. Yeah. 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 Definitely Wait. not designing your Scrum. And, yeah. and so this is not. This is nothing against Scrum, but Scrum right. is a very specific choice of starting. Right. Okay. And I can tell you from all the interviews I've done for the book. And, and I've done several dozen interviews with people who have tried Agile outside of software, some successfully, some not. Um, the few who picked Scrum changed it beyond recognition. Mm-hmm. So my assumption is, like we said earlier, is that you know once the thing is kind of settled, mm-hmm. it will be your own. It doesn't have to uh, mimic anybody's recommendation. Right. And so... If you want a way of working that is agile, then you start again with, you know, values and principles and now you design it. And and what you're saying is, you know, in chapter eight, we talk about, you know, what should your way of working um, describe or attend to in order for it to just be useful and effective. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I use the Scrum as an example. I didn't mean to design your uh, customized Scrum because some of the people doing that, they go to an organization and you mentioned that don't start with um, frameworks or tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, start, um, I don't remember which chapter was it, but you said um, 
learn enough about the agile principles mm-hmm. and you, you gave some examples that learn about visualization about feedback about cost of change like and mm-hmm. try to make it less as possible and then team autonomy collaboration all those mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. first when i when i saw the um, chapter title learn enough about the agile principle i'm like how much enough is enough and that was my question to you how much enough huh. is enough okay so that was a huge question for me when I wrote the book, right? Because I didn't want to rewrite my previous book right. and, and I didn't want to turn people off. You know, this particular one is intentionally 200 pages so people actually do read it. And I had to pick what, what is enough. Right. And so what I picked are, you know, you, you just gave a few examples of what I picked. Um, I had to choose what, what I considered was the bare minimum so that what you have is in fact agile-minded, right? And not, um, you know, just, you know, a mix and match type of thing, right? Right. So, you know, just for our listeners, I'm just going to uh, read out the, the section headings, like what is enough about the agile principles? So why we should organize people around value creation, collaborating on product service or solutions, uh, the matter of outcomes with value, uh, always working on what's most important, uh, feedback, cost of change, constraining intake, right? So not doing too much at the same time, visualizing the work, breaking it down, team autonomy, self-organization, and collaboration. To me, this set was mm-hmm. enough so that once you kind of understand those principles, and a lot of them are not rocket science, but they're not just, right. they're just not common. Um, once you understand this, you can say, okay, now I get this. Now I get this, I, I can see that in order to be agile, I need to do these things. How I do them? Well, there are some suggestions later, um, but that's it. Right. Look, and I want I, I want my readers to own the results. I want them, and I believe that they can design their methods without being process experts. Right. I mean, I'm a process expert. I would love to be hired to help you out with this. And if you want to, I'll come in and help you. But I think people are capable of, you know, doing something totally reasonable on their own. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, they shouldn't have to, you know, just turn to, you know, experts to kind of hold their hands. Right. And again, going back before this chapter, you talked about, a lot about how to pick your agile and how, when to start agile mm-hmm. in your organization. Yes. So tell us more about that. Right. So one of the first things to do is to determine where you'll start, where, where you'll try it for the first time. Now, what does that mean? If you think about pretty much all the agile literature, it doesn't say anything like that because the typical software team has a single product which they work on for a good period of time until they move on to another product or the next version. Uh, It's several people. uh, And the work is by large development. You will have some occasional things such as, you know, bug fixes and maintenance and whatever, but it's generally development. Okay. And so that's why a lot of the um, agile literature is very much about, okay, you bring agile to your team, you kind of change everything at once because the, there is essentially one big target of work. But if you look outside of software, that's usually not the situation. So uh, let's take a finance team, for instance. 
right? Mm -hmm. They will have some ongoing work, what they might call business as usual or operational or whatever. They might have things that are cyclical, like, you know, reporting and filing, but they might also have projects like, you know, um, implementing a new tool, right? Or creating new reports or things like that. So those are all different and you would work on them differently. Some of them need, need um, you know, a way of working that is more, you know, predictable, kind of churn things out type of thing, kind of like a, um, like a basic Kanban, sort mm -hmm. of. Uh, whereas, you know, building new reports, that's great for Agile. So the idea is that you look at the kind of work you do and, and you find a place or two where you say, you know, let's do this here for, for the beginning. Learn from that. So we would apply it there. We would, again, choose a few principles, design a way of working. It doesn't take long. And we get started and we practice with this. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you have a marketing team, for instance, that's marketing both products and the brand, you can say, okay, let's just do this for marketing just one product. Or maybe we have one conference coming up and nowadays it's virtual, um, yeah. and, right? And, and just try Agile on that one, not on everything. Right. Because we want to learn fast. We want to fail fast because we don't know what we're getting ourselves into. And we also don't want to risk everything. So once you've done that, now you can expand. Now you can expand and do more of the same type or more teams or more products or more solutions, whatever makes sense. And you, and you talk about the support as well that I'm not sure if you want to go into, we want to go into detail of the satire change model that you put there. And it's true for any changes that we put there. Mm. But with the new, like with the small, for example, the agile conference that you're trying at, like for the conference that you're trying agile way of working on it, mm -hmm. right? You might get into challenges that you never saw before. You might get into chaos as you called it, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that without support, you can get through it, right? So um, my question was to you was that at, the, at what level, because we talk about the team and the managers that um, mm -hmm. they have this vision, they're supporting them. What kind of support are we talking here that the team needs? Right. So, you know, the, the Statira model definitely predicts that, you know, as you make a change, some things will become unfamiliar, uncomfortable, up and down, right? That's that whole chaos thing. And the support we're looking at is support from leadership. And, and that's why th there is a portion in the book about, you know, as a manager, prepare to support people in doing this, right? And, and the point is not so much, you know, clockwork implementation of some agile method, but are people actually acting in an agile way? And do they have a good, you know, level of safety? So that's, of course, something that's mentioned there several times. This applies to any kind of change. You're absolutely right. Uh, and this is no different. If you have something that you want to try Agile on, the deadline's really close, you don't know what, what you're doing, uh, this is all brand new, people are maybe a bit nervous, maybe don't start with that one. Maybe make that the second thing you get to, right? Start with something else. So look, even in you know, Agile transformations in, in technology, we don't transform everybody at the same time, regardless of where we are along the timeline, right? We pick a time when people can actually accommodate this, when you have a margin for error, where you have time for learning and so on, right? That's no different. You mentioned one thing that really resonates with me. You mentioned finish a small valuable work together. Yes. Um, 
uh, and I was in my mind, I was uh, comparing that to, I'm not sure, I'm sure you heard of it, Sprint Zero, when some um, people mm. are talking about it, that, oh, in Sprint Zero, we are doing all the groundwork for getting things started, which I'm not a big fan of. And when I no. read this, it's like finish the small thing that you can work together and it's valuable to deliver, no matter what that is, like you start working together. Do you, um, do you want to elaborate on that more? Yeah. Um, yeah, I share your opinion about Sprint Zero, but this is definitely not it. I mean, the, the, the idea with the finish small valuable th- work together, it's, it's a little mantra. It's a little mantra for a team that starts starting out they don't have the new process memorized, right? Few people um, feel comfortable really telling you exactly what everything is going to be about in a new process that they just configured. And so my recommendation there, and it's based on things that I've done with software teams as well, is, you know, don't sweat the process, right? Instead, focus on finishing small, valuable work together. Everybody can remember these five words, right. right? So generally work together, look for work that's meaningful and not just, you know, be busy and finish it. You start something, finish it. Mm-hmm. Make it so however you want to. If you want to pair up on things, you want to split up. If you want to put stuff on the wall or not, that's okay. Of course, as a coach, I would, I would be thinking of certain things that they could do to make things better. And if I were coaching a team like this, like on a daily basis, let's say as an embedded coach, of course, I would, I would give more and offer more and support more. But my assumption in this book is that those teams are actually not going to get coached. Right. <laughs> right? So if they need to be self-sufficient, how can you do this? And, and by the way, that, that's, Part of the reason so many teams, you know, they go to Scrum because Scrum has, it's, it's documented, right? You can say, okay, we are going to do this and it tells us to do A, B, C, D. Okay, fine. You can come up with your own thing, but it's still the matter of this is new to people, right? right. And, and the manager in question probably doesn't know what it should look like either, right? Yeah, so true. Design something of your own, make it small, try it out, put it through, through its paces, see how it plays out. Right, which, by the way, is no different than what most people do in their personal lives when they pick up something new that they haven't done before. Yeah, buy a little and they see. That's all we're saying. (laughs) Two other things that I really enjoyed. One um, was about the lead intentionally, Mm -hmm. uh, when you um, talked about in detail about what that means. And it was in my mind, I was comparing that with the servant leadership that sometimes people are talking Mm -hmm. about it, right? But in the support time, it's not about being a servant leader mostly, but it was like focus on these um, areas that you mentioned. For example, focus on works, not workers, right? Focus on um, looking at the system and not the people in the system if there's any challenges coming up. Um, And if you want to set something, set behavioral expectations, right? Um, Do you want to um, tell us more about uh, this lead intentionally? Because I really enjoyed it that part yeah so servant leadership is one form of leadership there's host leadership there's command and control there's all kinds of leadership slash management the reality is that however you lead there will be consequences some will be great and some will be awful right there will be results to what you do the recommendation there is take some time to think how you want 
your leadership to be. So you get more of the results that you want and less of the results that you don't want. Right. So for instance, I, I'll give you an example. Um, we're living now in an unusual time, right? With the virus, right? So a lot of people are busy now trying to make that work from home situation happen. And they're trying to, and they're doing a bit more of their disaster planning and business continuity planning and whatever. During this time, they'll be talking to their team members. They'll be talking to their peers and colleagues and whatever. Some of their communication will not be intentional. It will be reactive. And when that happens, what people do is they, they kind of fall back to um, what they're used to, but also to some of their fears, right? So it is not inconceivable that, you know, some managers in today's situation um, are being short with their people, right? Because they, you know, they're, they're stressed out and everything is, you know, going crazy and whatever, and they might be short and they might be uh, more, um, should I say this? The word that comes to mind is dictatorial. I can't think of another word, but th th they might be more forceful than they otherwise want to be. What I'm suggesting, and it's not just for unusual times like this, is have, choose for yourself how you want to come across, how you want to be. If you want to be a servant leader that empowers a team, be intentional about that. Don't just say, yeah, of course, yeah, I'll do this, fine, whatever. And then when a situation arises that's, you know, um, kind of unusual, you default to other behaviors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Leading intentionally means that you are thinking about how do I want me to be? How do I want my team to be as a result of my actions? How do I want the company to be as a result of the team's actions? And in, in basically making that your setting, it, it takes skills and it takes practice, but making that the setting. Right. right? It's just like, you know, um, both you and I are parents, right? You know, some of our intentionality is we want these kids to be independent, you know, and good members of society. That's just how we want it to be. Right. Okay. And so as a result, sometimes we pick our battles, right? That's just one little example of that. Right. And then um, you were talking about after all the support and all that in your book is about how to assess how it's going and then how to expand it. So yeah. um, these days I'm a little bit more working with data and coaching with data. So tell us, tell us what are the patterns that you see for assessing how it's going? Is, is there a set of data that you uh, recommend or it depends on the, what the team decides or de depends on what the end goal is? Yeah, so it's really the last things you said, right? Because look, when, when we look at software teams and we look at how they assess what's going, that we, we have a whole slew of metrics, right? We have uh, things from velocity and cycle time to team happiness, to delivering, uh, to uh, value delivered and so on. And they all measure different things, okay? So I have this whole section in the book about how, you know, metrics are a thorny issue, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we know this from 20 years in software that, you know, you can game them and, and they sometimes drive the wrong behaviors and blah, 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 right? So, so they're a thorny issue. They're not an obvious one. 
So what I suggest in the book is something very simple that any reader can do, and it takes maybe 20 minutes. And that is, it's basically two questions. The first one is, how well are we following what we said we would do? And the second one is, how is this helping? Right? So the first question goes to, when we started on the subset of our work, we said we would do, you know, this set of agile principles. And we customized some methods, whatever. But let's look at what we're actually doing now. How does it reflect those principles? As opposed to whatever we had started with. Like whatever we had before we started to change. Okay. Basically, this is a, you know, qualitative assessment. It's a high, medium, low type of situation of, you know, are we doing what we said we would do? And then look at how is this making a difference, right? So in software, we would call this value delivered. This is the same thing. And, and the question basically can be how, how has this moved a needle? How has this right. helped our customers? And for many of the readers, the customers are internal. Um, how is this helping our customers get their work done better? That's it. Right. That's it. If they yeah. ever want to go to more elaborate metrics, I'm sure they would not be using this book. And that's okay, right? Yeah, <laughs> because I, I just want people to start because, you know, it, I, I'm sure you see this also in your own work where, you know, we, we start a team along, you know, the agile journey and, and two weeks pass and somebody already wants to measure something, right? Mm -hmm. And, and it, there's nothing evil about this, but it's also sometimes misguided, yeah. right? Because we can usually tell if we're being agile or not, right? We don't necessarily mm -hmm. need the number. Okay. If we're not being agile, well, okay, maybe we should do something about this. If we are and it's working out, good. Let's try this another cycle. Still are. Okay, now let's see if we can measure and improve. Such as mm -hmm. cycle time. In this book, what I really enjoyed was the combination of different um, philosophies of agile, lean, Kanban. Like you brought many of these things together and put them in a very nice way of for people to understand them mm -hmm. and, and use them. Do you want to talk about a little bit about um, lean, agile, and how these um, two things work in hand in hand? Because in your book, you mentioned that lean is an ancestor of agile. And after all, this is a lean and agile show. I had to ask you this question. <laughs> okay. Well, lean is also an ancestor of Kanban, although okay. nowadays they're kind of moving apart. Anyway, like every good idea that starts taking on the world, you know, it kind of mutates and has followers and camps and, and whatever. And I did not want my reader to fall into the trap of, I have to choose. One expert told me this and the other expert told me that. And, you know, this is certified and that one is certified, but they don't agree. So now what do I do? Right. I, I don't want people to do any, um, to suffer any of that. <laughs> Right. right. And and that's why what, what I present there is a more of a holistic view of, you know, agility as informed by your know, really good ideas from Agile, Lean, Kanban, and so on. Okay. Look, as far as Lean and Agile go, the way I look at it is they they have somewhat different mindsets. Right, so the lean mindset is, is a bit different from the agile mindset, and it's true that one kind of you know gave birth to the other, but uh, of course they've changed over time. Right. When you look at lean, um, lean really values you know deliver fast, and and have a you know human centered environment that creates that. Mm -hmm. 
Agile takes this a step further and says, uh, but what if we don't quite know what right is? Mm -hmm. Right? So in Lean, I mean, Lean was great for manufacturing because you know what you're building and you want to build it with minimal waste. You want to do it repeatedly with minimal variety, right? And, and you, want to, you want more of the thing. Awesome for that, okay? But Agile says, well, what if there is variety? What if we don't know what the right answer is? Okay, but when you don't know what the right answer is, because it is mostly because it's subjective and, you know, the market's changing and, you know, right, all, all those things, you would want to work differently. Cutting out waste is not the first thing you should do. Right. So now you have Kanwan, for instance, that says, okay, well, we kind of know what we're doing, uh, but there is variability in what comes into the process. So it's sort of midway. Right. So you, you have these situations where, and, and that's where, all, again, the uh, values and beliefs come in, where you say, you know, in this situation, we have the answers up front. Predictability matters. Um, controlling costs and schedules matters, right? And we're in a situation where we can afford to do this. We have to, and, and it's legitimate. We can get to all the answers up front. In that situation, mm -hmm. you do one thing. The book will help you with that as well whether it's this situation or the opposite where you're saying, well, we don't have the answers up front. We don't know how mm -hmm. people would respond. Again, marketing could be an example of that. Um, so when, when I refer to these things as values and beliefs, basically what I'm saying is as a team, be explicit about what you think will help you succeed and what you're taking for granted about your situation. How you label them, if one configuration looks more like clean and the other one looks more like agile or a third one looks more like, uh, I don't know, like clean startup, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I don't know that all this tagging is useful. Yeah. I'm on that side with you as well. Uh, <laughs> and last but not least, you, you talk about um, small a agility or a small a agile. Mm -hmm versus the big agile, which talks to what you just mentioned about these big tag names yes. in your book. Um, and I guess what I really enjoyed about what you, what you talked about in your book about the small A agile was that it's not for the development or for product, but it's more like what we call it uh, business agility or that's what is wrapped around these days. Yeah. So if you go to the core of agile, it's about the whole process, not only on the tech side or the development side right and and look we we started in technology um you know it's been 20 years there it's not that it has not happened outside of technology but it you know relatively speaking it's very little now that we understand this and we've been practicing with what must be the hardest problem ever presumably now we can expand this to others and, and you know and share our lessons which is really what i try to do here right. Gil, you, have, uh, you mentioned that you have done many um, interviews for this book uh, and you put some of them in the book. Were there any surprises or were there any um, aha moments from those interviews that you want to share with us? Uh, I was surprised to see that most of the attempts at non-software agile came from Europe. Oh. And, and not from North America. Maybe that's just my sample size, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty well connected to the Agile community. When I put out a requ request for 
you know, please connect me to people who I can interview. Um, I got so many responses and they were mostly from Europe. Um, here, like, well, we're in Canada, but let's say, you know, US and Canada, I see this primarily in marketing, but, you know, in Europe, it's been also in other places. Um, other ahas, um, the, I would say that, yeah, the, the variety of implementations was pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. And I think it was more, more than half the teams that really tried to just do Scrum mm -hmm. and very quickly moved away from it. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, for various reasons, right? But it's, you, you can still have perfect agility without necessarily having a specific structure, right? Your, your structure can be your own. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, does that, um, was the reasoning behind when you talk about designing, you mentioned designing your workflow and you didn't focus much on the process? Ah, well, that actually, <laughs> that came from one of my clients where they said, you know, process here is a bad word. Mm -hmm. Pro process for us means tell me what to do, I'll do it, and you'll approve it. Okay. And, you know, process for technologists, it probably has a different meaning, right? So if I talk to, you know, a software person, talking about process makes perfect sense. But uh, I was going to assume that this was not the case outside of um right. inside of software and i and i think the word workflow is more neutral mm -hmm. has less baggage well, hopefully it stays that way uh, i know it's so hard to find words that don't have baggage right 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 like velocity i tell my teams not to use that word right, right? because it, it communicates so many wrong things about agile mm -hmm. um but it's it's hard to find an alternative by the way the alternative i use is capacity Thank you. Thank you, Gil, for your time. I really enjoyed um, the time uh, and the book that I read. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience before saying goodbye to you? Um, anybody who, you know, who chooses to read this book and act on it, I would love to have a conversation with you. No strings attached. I, I want to help out, you know, for me, you know, you know, helping the world with Agile is the best job ever. So if I can do more of it and help more people, I, I would love to. Thank you, Gil. It was a true pleasure to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you.